This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman and Chris Peters of Flow Hockey back for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. No longer elbow to elbow, guys, but I think uh, I think we're still ready to see Chris and Corey go toe to toe. Always love when we do the uh, episode centered around somebody's rankings because we get to hear you guys uh, spar a little bit over what you think. So we're going to do a little bit of that today. We're going to talk about the Calder, and we got another mailbag uh, with some good stuff in it today. Let's jump right in though with with the 2023 draft list though, because Corey, your, your list came out this week. Uh, you still at the very top are uh, have Connor Bedard, but I I was interested to see that. In the story you talk about, obviously, a little bit of maybe a little bit more of a conversation at the top than we would have expected uh, at this time last year coming from Adam Fantilli. Right. And I think that is mostly due to the play of Adam Fantilli. It's not due to the play of Connor Bedard, who is the leading WHL scorer at the moment. Uh, But yeah, you look at the play of Adam Fantilli, who's roughly around two points per game right now in college hockey as a freshman. Uh, being a leading player on one of the top teams in the NCAA. Uh, he's just outstanding. And there's some more pro elements in his game with the size and the physicality that maybe Bedard doesn't quite have in his game, even though I would, I would argue his, his pure offensive touches is notably higher than Fantilli's. And this is not just my opinion that I think there is a closing gap. Uh, I would say it's an opinion that I'm hearing uh more and more often from NHL people I talked to right before this podcast started, I talked to a scout who said he would lean towards Adam Fantilli if he had the number one pick. Uh, I would guess somewhere between a fifth to a quarter of the league would, would probably make that decision at the moment. And, and we'll see where we are by draft day and obviously who has the number one pick um, and, and how the rest of the season plays out. Uh, I think the World Juniors will be a big measuring stick for both of them. I presume both will play prominent roles on Team Canada, and, and that will be a very important tournament to see where the two of them match up. I think that there's definitely a conversation, but I still think that, um, to me, Bedard is is still clearly ahead because of what Corey mentioned, the pure offensive puck touches, the fact that his, his number one tool is his goal-scoring ability. Um, you need goals uh, in this league, and, and it's one of the hardest things to do and he does it better than most other people. Um, the the physical elements of his game, it's it's a really important distinction to make because you have to ask yourself the question is, you know, I was just thinking about this. If you're the Columbus Blue Jackets right now, you've got Johnny Goudreau, you've got Patrick Laine, you've kind of got you know where you're heading for the next eight years, basically. And you've got an idea of where it is. How does Connor Bedard fit into that mix with those those players? That is that is a an, a question that you have to ask. And you say, would I prefer to have the hard nosed, fast, big center who might not score as much, but still is going to score a fair amount, like a number one center, or do I take this goal scoring talent who potentially has the ability to, um, you know, change change the dynamic of our offense in in a way that, you know. As good as Adam Fantilli is, I don't think he does that for them. He does other things that that Connor Bedard can't do, which is which is fair to say. But I, I mean, the other thing to point out too, Connor Bedard's playing on a on a on a not a very good team in in the yeah. WHL. Regina is not a good team. He's scoring at two point one five points per game. Now it's early in the season. There's still a lot to go. We've got a long way to go. 
but that would be the fourth highest scoring season by a U18 player since then. And we're talking that includes the 1980s when people were scoring, you know, basically 180 points a season in the WHL. So I, I think what he's doing is special. I don't want to lose sight of that, but I think to Corey's point, Adam Fantilli's play is the reason that he's put himself in the discussion. It's the reason that he's that that scouts continue to to want to watch him very closely. For me, that if the, if the decision came down between the two, it would still be Bedard for me. But I I absolutely agree that Fantilli has closed the gap, and I think it's now become very evident that he's the clear number two. And there's got to be another discussion about how far is the gap between him and Mitchkov at this point, or Leo Carlson, or Carlson as well, who's uh, who's very much in that mix too. Yeah, I think with this debate, there's a couple extra variables that I would want to throw in there. You mentioned one, Bedard scoring, for example, and he is scoring at an incredible rate. I think there's like a 40 or 50 point gap between him and the next best shot generator in the WHL. It's, it's, the offense is outstanding. The devil's advocate argument would be because his team is so bad, uh, his time on ice is hilarious. Um, the games I was at, (laughs) I think he was on the ice every second shift. I th- there are games as a forward where he's playing 27, 28, 29 minutes a game. It's actually kind of hilarious the way they use him, given they don't really have many other you know legit scoring options on that team. The other part of the debate that comes in is the positional aspect of it. Both play center. Uh, both are listed as centers. Uh, but not everyone in the National Hockey League is can 100% convinced that Connor Bedard is actually going to play center in the National Hockey League. Whereas, though, the ones who point to Fantilli would say, this guy looks like a star number one center. He has all the tools, everything you traditionally look for in, in that position. I, I'm not sure I'm 100% the way there that the Bedard is not an NHL center. I see a path because I think... With the offense, I think he's still a pretty good skater. I think he competes well. He's very intelligent. So I can see a path where he does become a center in the NHL and obviously an excellent NHL center given how talented a player he is. Uh, but when I ask, one of the you know things I've uh, started asking NHL people this season is, okay, well, well, who's his NHL comparable? Who is Connor Bedard's NHL, current NHL comparable? It's not Jack Hughes. I don't think. I think Jack Hughes is a much better skater. Some people would argue Braden Point, but I'm not 100% sure that one fits either. I would say Point's a little bit, maybe doesn't have that kind of puck game. Maybe a little bit, you know, feistier, a little bit quicker. But I, that one could fit, possibly. It's close. Uh, I'm not sure that gets you all that excited. I mean, well, Point's an amazing player. Um, you know, as the for what we think Bedard is, I think Bedard's offense will be, will be greater. Uh, but I've heard the comps that come back come back to me are often wingers. I've had scouts argue he could be Pasternak, for example. I have mm-hmm. scouts argue he could be Patrick Kane. I've argued scouts argue he'd be Nikita Kucherov. Yeah, all three of which you would love to have on your NHL team, but all of them are wingers. Well, it, it poses an interesting question there because Kane was the one that was in sitting in my head. Uh, if you hadn't mentioned him there, and I, I obviously I think Fantilli right now. I don't think he's a Perfect like for like for this guy, but the the player you're hearing him compared to statistically right now is Jack Eichel and, and what he did in his draft year. And I think it would be a really good debate if you pulled the league right now. Who would you rather have, Patrick Kane or Jack Eichel? I think you could hear pretty good arguments for both of those. My suspicion is in the end, Patrick Kane would come out ahead. Maybe it's just because he's won it and we haven't seen Jack Eichel do sure. that. 
Um, but it's at least a debate. And I think that's where you can start to see the outlines of, of this conversation going. Yeah, no, no question about it. And I mean, this it's 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 fun to have because they are so different. I think that's really the the key thing here is that nobody's saying that that uh, Connor Bedard is not an an elite talent and and great goal scorer and a guy that has done everything he possibly can do to be the number one pick. It's just that all of a sudden, you know, Corey and I had this discussion. I don't know. I think maybe even on this podcast before is like, what would it take for Connor or for Adam Fantilli to overtake him? We said, well, he's going to have to have at least a season like Jack Eichel. <laughs> and, and statistically he's been ahead of where Jack Eichel was at the same age. Um, and I think college hockey is actually better now than it was then. Um, and even though that Michigan schedule hasn't been as tough as I think BU's was at the time, um, it's still, you know, Jack Eichel also literally carried an entire college hockey team to a national championship final. They I feel like win, you take, but, if, you, yeah. if you take away their two like Lindenwood games, I feel like their schedule's been like still comparable. Yeah, it's been tough. Competitive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's been tough enough. Yeah, yeah. It's not a week. It's not a week schedule by any means. It's just you know there were more conference games in in Eichel's uh, sample. The, the winning aspect, you may argue, may should or should not affect things, but I think at the end of the day. If Michigan does go deep in the postseason, that that will be a variable, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with Bedard here in the second half. I think one of like the sneaky, under the radar debates going on in in Major Junior right now, particularly in the Western League, is what does Regina do with Connor Bedard? Because it's extremely unlikely they will have any postseason success this season, um, given given the other you know the other teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, so the question is going to become: Does Connor Bedard get traded? At some point in the second half, uh, Regina is going to have to grapple with what that means financially for their team. They, they sell out every game with that player in their lineup, uh, but realistically, they're not going to win a WHL championship this season. Um, so, you know, can, does Bedard get traded to a contender and does he turn that contender into a champion? I think will be interesting second half storylines to follow. Another guy, another center on this list who, who I think uh, is worth talking about. Not a huge separation from the two of you in, in your rankings. And I know, Chris, yours are a little older than than Corey's at this point. So Yeah, by a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Dalibor Dvorsky is a guy, Corey, I think you have him at number six. Chris, I think you've got him at number 10. Uh, this was a guy who coming into the year, I think, obviously very much on everyone's radars. We've talked about the the current spike in the Slovak pipeline uh, playing in the Allsvenskan uh, but Corey, I thought it was interesting on your list for a player who you have at number six, uh, kind of the questions on the, is it the the skating slash compete blend here? Is that what's keeping him from this this top echelon of these top four horses? Yeah, that's would be where it is for me. I think with, with Dvorsky, uh, the skill and the offensive hockey sets are both pretty high end. I mean, he can do... Pretty special things with the puck in the offensive zone. He can run a power play like a pro, both because of the skill and the vision, but he also has an excellent shot. So it makes him a multi-threat weapon on the power play. Uh, you see in the in AIK in the Alspenskin this season that you know he is one of their guys who run their power play. Um, and I, I think there, there's a lot of offense in his game. Uh, the skating is just okay. I don't think he's not competitive. I wouldn't describe him as a high-compete interior offense type of player. Uh, so for me, I look at this player and, and I almost kind of think of the Strom brothers immediately kind of in terms of, you know, how they play the game, particularly maybe like more like a Ryan Strom just because of the size difference there between him and Dylan. Um, and, and I look at Dvorsky and I think, can he be that kind of player as a pro who isn't, you know, a star, but is an excellent hockey player. 
Yeah, and I I've just had enough viewings of Dvorsky in the last couple of years, you know, and this is to to I I don't feel that he has progressed at the same level as some of the other players in this class. He's definitely better now than he was. He's developing fine. He's a good offensive player, but you know, you look at a guy that that Corey had high and I had I thought I had aggressively high in Will Smith. There isn't a thing that I would trade Will Smith for for Delibor Dvorsky. I, I don't think they're close. Um, you know, and that's that's another interesting element when you start comparing and contrasting the players that you list. Um, you know, I, I maybe and I do think that at some point Dvorsky is a little bit of a victim of the expectations that were set for him, at least. And that's something that we have to constantly evaluate in our own process is how much do we buy into that? I know Corey, Corey can be a little bit uh more dispassionate about that than maybe I am. Um, but I would say that that that's something that that certainly uh, has has been a factor, but I think that in in the recent weeks and in, in how he's played in the Allsvenskan this year, there's a lot of positives to take out of it. And and a guy like you know, we're both saying that he's a top ten prospect in this class. Yep. So it's not like we're saying he's 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 playing poorly. We're seeing you know this is a guy that maybe hasn't taken to me at least hasn't taken the step that I've seen some other players take. And why you know he was ten on mine, and I still don't think that, that I would I, I I don't don't anticipate I would be moving him much higher at this point of the season. Right. I'm not sure why you mentioned the Smith thing. We both have Smith over him. Right. I know, but I, I mean, but I'm just, I, I'm mentioning that I mentioned Smith because it's like, he was a guy that wasn't considered in the same class as Dvorsky coming into the season. You don't think over like, or not, I think it's actually, he didn't have a point today. So I think it's exactly, you don't think half a point per game in the Osvenskin is, is progression. I think, no, I did say that he is progression. I don't think he's progressed to the level that, that some of the other players, I think other players have pushed their game further. And that's why there are people leapfrogging him. When we talked about him as a potential top five pick this year, where'd you have Jaeger? Jaeger was fourth for me. And I would, you, you or think, I mean, fifth, think, sorry, fifth and, for me. And, and, and he would you be think moving he's progressing? Down. He would be moving down. Yeah. Okay. Just curious. Yeah. He's fine though. He's, I'd still take him. I'd still take him over Dvorsky. No, no question. I'm not sure about no question, but no question. Uh, no question. He's like a point per game, five eleven forward, and you're saying no question. Hey, nobody's more obsessed with size than you these days. So, I mean, just just you know, devil's advocate. I mean, <laughs> I mean why is divorce going to progressing at the at the rate you expected? But yet, but Jaeger, you you don't hold that against him. Now that's a fair point to bring up uh, because I like Jaeger better, and I started liking him better before, sure. and I still yeah. Skating's so, better. The competes better. Yes, exactly. More, pro, like more those, of a pro style offense. Yes, those elements. But I do think that's a fair. I think that's a fair point to bring up in the terms of, you know, how we judge different players. And I think again, this comes back to I think the expectation levels were different for the two players for me coming into the season. For what it's worth, Jaeger's like tenth in the WHL in shots on goal, so I'm still banking on that being a little bit of bad luck and right. him having some more puck luck in the second half of the season. But um, he's going to need to score more. I think to maintain his top ten status. And just yeah. to be clear, these are both players you both have in the top ten. So yeah, we are exactly. we are We're talking splitting. about shades of gray here. They are shades of gray, but they they end up being pretty important yes. in the end when we're talking about a class that we have, you know, we we like um, as a whole. So yeah, so those shades of gray and those they can make a big difference in a class like this. Uh, one thing I, I was very interested to see in, in Corey's rankings when they came out because we had just talked about kind of the D last week, and I know we we spent some time on David Reidenbacher. He's Corey's top defenseman at number nine here. Um, but I am curious, Dmitry Simashov's a guy who you've got at 13, Corey, um, I believe in the same tier 
I'm curious, what's the separation between those two for you? And and Chris, how are you seeing Simashov so far? I actually think on pure ability, like pure overall toolkit, I thought Simashev's toolkit is the most impressive one among all the rear guards. I see, you know, a defenseman who skates well. I think there's offensive skill. He moves the puck well. He's six foot four. Uh, he's played up in the KHL and they looked and looked fine when he played in junior. I thought he's looked very good. Uh, I sh- if, if he wasn't in Russia currently, I think he could have made a push to be the number one ranked defenseman. I think with Reinbacher, though, I, I see a mobile defenseman who is producing significant offense versus men, albeit on a bad team. So somebody's going to play on the power play, but he is the offense he's producing versus men as a draft eligible in the NLA, which is a really good league. Is significant. I think he's around a half point per game right now. He just played at the Deutschland Cup for Austria and looked good there as well. Um, and again, he is a 6-2 right shot defenseman with all those tools. So it makes it really intriguing. So you have a toolkit, you have production, and it's production at a high level versus men. Um, so I think he in particular is kind of the guy we kind of were waiting to emerge a little bit this season of a defenseman that checks a lot of boxes and looks like a highly desirable pro prospect. And I would say in my discussions with NHL teams, both uh, have their fans, but Ryan Bacher in particular, I haven't talked to teams and discussed exactly where, you know, they haven't slotted, you know, first round, top 15, top 10, et cetera. But I know Ryan Bacher is a name that is trending with a lot of NHL clubs right now. Yeah. And I, I didn't rank either of them in a top 32. Um, Ryan Bacher, absolutely. I think it, that was one where, I didn't feel strongly enough about the toolkit yet. Um, the production is obviously there. Um, and I think I need more, more, just more viewings on him. Obviously I've only seen him live at the world juniors and then, uh, you know, just watching on video and, yeah. and to Corey's point, his production, in the NLA uh, highest points per game average since uh, Roman Yossi in that league uh, for a defenseman of his age. Um, it's not a place where a lot of defensemen play young. So that's another big factor. Um, Simashev is not even a consideration for me at this point, um, for first round. And this is where we differ greatly. Um, he's big, he's, he's mobile. He's fine. I think he handles the puck clumsily. I don't like his puck moving abilities, um, very much. I think that the numbers are indicative of that as well at both the U20 and KHL level. I mean, obviously we have to kind of grade him with a, a grain of salt in the KHL because there are some games where he will pay like seven, six, seven minutes, other games where he might not play much at all. Um, so, you know, you don't, I don't really, I would never hold a, a, a defenseman's KHL production against them, but he still only has one point this season. Sure. Um, and, and then, but like, and I see the tools absolutely. Like I, I can understand, like, I think he's, he's got a great frame. The skating looks fine. The, the 6'4 size, I mean, absolutely. And especially in a class where we just don't have many defensemen that have raised their hand to say, we're going to be a top guy. But he's one guy for me, and it's not just because he's Russian. I was like, take him out of Russia. I'd, I'd love to see what he would look like. But I, I just don't see a player for me that checks enough of the boxes. Um, and I that was one of the ones, Corey, when I you know read your rankings, I was like, wow, you know that I'm always interested. We, we have these differences quite a bit more more frequently i feel like now um on particularly on defensemen it feels like but uh you know and i would say like a lot of the defensemen on my list are trending backwards as well so it's not like i feel like real strongly about the decor in general but simishev is a guy that just it, he just doesn't do it for me aside from being a you know a big and, and mobile defenseman 
Yeah, uh, well, on both of them, I would say with Ryan Barker, I didn't really. I thought he was like nice at the World Juniors in the summer. Yeah, he's he, fine. Where, yeah. where he was, you know, still a you know guy who would have been a, the age argument is weird because it was the, it was in the summer, but theoretically he's a draft minus one in a in a tournament right. at, at that point kind of thing. You know, playing up what a couple what must been like two or three years up from the from his age group. Um, so I really didn't like wasn't over the moon about him there. So oh he's big and he can skate. It's something that's some intrigue. I think there was always an offense question with him. Um and then I think this season he's kind of answering those offense questions a little bit. We'll see whether he keeps his production or up or not long term. But even if he doesn't, I think he has shown there is offense in his game and to go with the size and the skating is intriguing. In regards to Simashev, uh yeah, the point production is highly concerning. Uh, this, the MHL numbers uh, to me are always a little weird to work mm-hmm. with, particularly those with the top teams, CSKA, lo- uh, Locomotive, and, and SCAS teams are always have like a lot of really good 18, 19, 20 year olds on those teams and can skew things uh, a little bit. I think like facility, but Coles and what was he like a sub point per game guy in his draft year or something like that, that league. Um, yeah, no, when I've watched him, I think there's offense, but I, I get the legitimate concern. He's got to start scoring at some point. All right. Uh, one more guy here that I want to talk about from this list, which I would encourage uh, both of you to go check out both Corey's list on the athletic and, and Chris's list on flow hockey. Uh, one more guy that this one's, you know, again, shades of gray on the difference, but in this range, six spots can be significant. Chris, you've got Zach Benson at six. Corey, you've got him at 12. He came in, I think, pretty much at the start of the year. I think most people would have had him closer to that ranking that, that Chris would have. Um, so let's start with Chris here just to say why you still have him uh, at six. I know that the point production maybe hasn't come quite as explosively to start the year. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, interestingly enough for him, you know, I just think I've got a lot of just a lot of time watching him. And every time I've seen him, um, I see, you know, incredible vision, really good, you know, puck skills overall. I like the way that he plays. Um, I think that the the one thing that that kept him high uh, for me is I think he's really good off the puck. I think he's good in puck pursuit. He's got a really good stick that disrupts, and that's a thing that I think his compete level and his 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 anticipation. I think his hockey sense is just is one of the top tier qualities of his game is that he's able to make plays, but he's also able to use it to anticipate what the opponent is doing, getting a puck in the or getting a stick in the way, breaking up passes, good on the back check, all those different things I think will be, be very beneficial. The issue is, you know, he's not a big guy. He's not a big guy. Is he and is, and as such is that the way that, you know, will he have that same effectiveness defensively or with off the puck that he does now in junior, he's also part of a, a, a super team essentially Mm -hmm. in junior, which is really hard to evaluate for or against. I don't think he's a passenger on that team. I think he can be a play driver. Um, But I I do think that uh, for me personally, I think his his brain is at a high level. Um, And then I just wonder, you know, I I do have concerns. I would say, you know, if I were to do Corey did smartly did his draft ring. I criticized him for, for, for putting his rankings out after the five nations. And now I'm starting to wish that I did the same because there, there were some things there that, you know, getting, getting another live viewing of players and seeing like, you know, I would say, you know, Will Smith is a guy that has jumped ahead of, of, of both Jaeger and Benson for me and more similar to the range that Corey has him. Um, and so you're starting to see a lot of those, those skill players that are average sized or below, um, you know, kind of start stacking up a little bit differently. So he would be moving back, but I still don't think he's outside of the top 10 for me because I think his brain is at that level. 
I appreciate Chris admitting that I that I did something right for once. <laughs> I it it was hard for me to do. I choked on it, but I got it out. I think with the Winnipeg point is really important because I, I think that team is loaded, and I don't think any of their like high end NHL guys, be it Matthew Savoy, Connor Geeky, or Benson, really have outstanding off the chart offensive numbers. But they're winning almost every game they play in, and like when I've watched those games, they aren't. They're not all the same line. They don't always play on the same power play unit. They have so many offensive weapons on that team that they kind of mix and match who, who's playing with who. And so the offensive numbers are a little bit interesting to evaluate in that context. Um, that being said, with Benson, I agree with Chris that the compete level makes him really interesting because he's not just this small skill guy. He's He plays hard and he plays hard every night. Uh, but when you are a small winger who doesn't skate incredibly well, to have an NHL role, he's going to need to score and score in bunches so that he's not scoring at giant numbers. Makes me a little concerned with the top five, top eight range. We'll see how the rest of his season goes. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he starts, you know, lighting up the score sheet over the next few months. Uh, what I would ask with Benson is who do you think his NHL comparable is, Chris? Like who's a guy in the league that you think looks like him that's a true high in the lineup type? Hmm. I mean, I haven't thought about it that deeply in terms of comps for him. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I think the skating ability is certainly one of those things that is is in the mix. I mean, I, I, think, I think he plays more like Braden Point than Connor Bedard does personally. Uh, but that's just, that's, skating. you know, the skating, skating is, is, a, is a separate, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's, I've had people argue me his skating's at the same point as Braden Point's was at the same age. That's, that's a good but, point. <laughs> but he was a third round pick, not a top ten pick. Right. So let's learn from those mistakes of the past and move that player up. Because I mean, obviously, Braden Point now would go much higher. And yes. I think that's the other thing too with with players like like Benson. I feel like there have been lessons from the past. The player that competes as well as he does, that has the hockey sense that he does, that does have the hands and the vision that he does. I think those mm-hmm. are high end traits for him. Um, you know, right, those but just are, point point improved his skating just dramatically though. You well, can't you can't bank on that every time. Exactly, that's true. But at the same time, I, I will always bank on I will always bet on a player that thinks the game and competes at the level that he does while still also being able to produce offensively. I haven't thought of a good comp for him yet either. I'm still struggling with one. The the one that I keep going to is Marco Rossi. Mm. Um because of the skill and the and the compete variables. Um obviously not a center like Rossi is. Um, and, and Rossi's career is still to be determined. I don't like using comps for guys who are still really young. Yeah. Because we don't. Rossi has 1.18 games right now. He obviously is not an offensive guy in the NHL yet, but we think he will be with time. All right, gentlemen, let's get into some NHL talk now. Uh, some Calder Trophy talk on the rookies. I think coming into the year, uh, some of the candidates who we expected to be in the thick of the Calder race. Matty Beneers, Owen Power, Jake Sanderson. I would say all those guys are are very much uh, in it right now. But there is a little bit of a dark horse as well. And that would be Matias Michelli out in Arizona off to a really good start. 10 points in his first 15 games. Uh, he was a fourth round pick in 2019. Uh, Chris, I'll start with you here. Where is this coming from, from Matias Michelli? Did you see this kind of start coming for him? I I don't think I necessarily saw him transitioning to the NHL as easily, but I mean, this is kind of, uh, this is a guy that's really advanced his game year over year, um, played it in Dubuque at the, in the USHL, 
Um, you know, so he kind of took a bit of an unnatural path, ended up going back to Finland, playing pro, um, highly productive. You know, he had, he had some success there. And, and I think that that allowed him to, to both gain the confidence and the, and, and the, that kind of role where he could be that go-to scorer against men. Um, so that, that's not necessarily surprising. Did I think he would be in the top of this class? No. Corey actually did a little trivia with me and a, and a few friends about who, who's the leading, who's the leading rookie scorer and. I was so focused on the under 18 worlds. I hadn't even looked at the stats of this for a while. And then he's like, you know, would you know, would you, would, would you be surprised to learn it's Matias Michelli? And I was like, uh, yes, I would. I would very much so. Um, but, you know, I think that he's he's always had a, a tenacious style. I think there's always been con- like confusion about like, what where does he fit? Where is a guy like him who looks like him, who plays like him? Where does he fit? And I think in Arizona, you know, like you look, it's not like they don't have options. They they do have good options uh, even beneath the NHL. You think about guys like um, uh, Nathan Smith, who's played in the AHL, who had some time in the NHL last year. You know, they have some young players, but Michelli is, you know, continually in the AHL and everywhere else said, hey, I can produce. And now he's doing it at the NHL level. I I didn't think that the transition would be easy, especially with the quality of the Coyotes as a as a their roster as a whole. But I think you know, in general, the the Coyotes have overachieved, and he's certainly a guy that is kind of on trend with what he's done. Even if I think it's a little, a little bit sooner than I thought he'd be able to contribute to an NHL roster. He wasn't as productive in the American. He was very productive. Very productive. Yeah, absolutely. Very, yeah. In, mm-hmm. in the last season, and yeah, the Coyotes don't have an incredibly deep group up front this year, so somebody's going to be on the power play. There was going to be some young guy that was going to get, get opportunity to produce. I thought it might have been Dylan Genther, maybe coming Baron Hayton, but it's been Michelli who's been, you know, I think you know running the flanks there on the power play, looking like, like a big part of their of their offense. And when we discussed before, like in the context of say Benson, of you know who you know looking for small slow guys and where the NHL comparables, we'll see how Michelli does over the course of an eighty-two game season whether he keeps this up or not. Uh, but he is not a great skater. That's why he went in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's always just been a guy with really good skill, better hockey sense. Uh, I think he competes well. Yes. And, and he just continued to show he can do things versus men. Yeah. Well, one important note, too, about Michelli that I think is important to how he's playing now. He did get 23 games of NHL action last season. Mm-hmm. And so I, you look at the guys that have had experience before yeah. their rookie seasons, even if it's just like a handful of games, their ability to transition to a more productive role, you know, if they're ready, um, it has typically been kind of easier. So he's he's got a little bit of a head start, although you could say the same thing about Matty Beneers last year as well. Shane Pinto. Um, and Shane Pinto, other guys that got got those opportunities. But I mean, Michelli had 23 games, which is like just barely, you know, he's barely a rookie at this point based on the Calder eligibility rules. Uh, but he is try, a rookie. Try to keep him in the eligibility. Exactly. He, he's now he's he's eligible. So he's in the mix. Well, let's go to Pinto because that's a perfect point, Chris, to, to lead us in there because he started this season on an absolute tear. I think he scored at 1.5 goals in a row or uh, sorry, five goals in five games. Uh, I think I'll, I'll, each and individual games there for him and, and he hit the ground running. He's a guy who I think people have been on to for a little while. Uh, and Corey, he didn't waste any time this year getting right into it. A little bit quieter since then, but he did have a couple goal night the other night. Right. And obviously the Josh Norris injury has increased yeah. his role and 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 made what was already an important player to that team even much more important. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, so we've talked a lot about Pinto on this podcast and just how good a two way player is, how intelligent he is, the how competitive he is. You know, the skating is not amazing, but everything else about his game is really positive, and he's become a really important player. And I think he is. I don't think there is a guy right now who is running away with this Calder. Uh, 
it could go in a number of directions, and I think he's very much in that conversation. Another guy who I don't know if we like gave him enough credit for being in the conversation is Jake Sanderson. Uh, you know, I think we thought rightfully so that hey, Thomas Shabbat's going to be you know the power play guy here. He's not going to get the offense, and oh hey, Thomas Shabbat's not in the in the lineup anymore. What do you know? Uh, and it's not even even when Shabbat wasn't in, was in the lineup and taking those power play time. I think you just look at how well Sanderson is playing right now. There is still offense coming to go with a lot of ice time and playing very well in those minutes that I think, you know, even though him and say Owen Power are not getting the PP1 time, I think both of those offensemen are playing so well that they have to be in the conversation. Yeah, I I agree completely with that. And I think that Sanderson, um, this is, you know, the the question I had coming in is how was he going to bounce back from the injuries that he sustained last year? He he had a he had just a freak season last year, and then he ends up bouncing back even better than I expected. You knew he could skate with NHL talent. You knew that he had the brain to be a, a solid defender and to put up good numbers and everything else. But as Corey said, you know, he's already got five power play points so far this season. Um, you know, that's that's of his nine assists this year, five of them come on the power play and. You know, he's getting the chance to produce a little bit more. But I mean, Jake Sanderson is just he's one of those guys that everything about him suggests this is a guy that's going to be on your blue line for years and years and years and years. And he's going to make you better every single time. And now seeing how well and how easily he transitioned from, you know, freak injuries last year and illness and, you know, the the craziness of going to the Olympics and and everything else that he that he had to go through and then world juniors and all that jazz. Um He's turned that around and just basically it just shows the character of Jake Sanderson as well, that nothing really seems to bother him. And he's just always the same. And you where, you know what you're going to get from him every single time. Where does this game right for you in terms of the tools perspective to say either Jacob Slavin or, or Charlie McAvoy? Like I'm trying to think of upper echelon guys in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's certainly in that, in that mix. I mean, I think that that's where he's trending towards where he's going to be a long-term number one that gets, you know, plays in all situations for you. And on top of it all, he's an elite skater. I mean, his, his skating ability is just tremendous. Um, and I think that that's a real separator for him, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I think that that's where he, he might have a chance to, you know, uh, ascend and, and go even past, those two guys who have been among the best American defensemen in the NHL for the last several years. Are we surprised that Mason McTavish hasn't been off to a harder start? Yes. Well, yeah, I just saw him a couple days ago and he was great. So he scored and he should have had two in that game. So I, I'm very surprised that it hasn't come more, more uh, in, in more volume for him. Yeah. I mean, let, let's face it. The ducks just, you know, they're, they're not, they're not the best. No. Um, You know, they're, they're not a great team. And, and, you know, but still, I, I still had higher expectations for the production, but I still am a Mason McTavish believer. Would I uh, go back and do a do-over for my Calder pick this season? You betcha. You betcha I would. Uh, but really, at this point, it's still anybody's Calder race. I mean, right. it's not like anybody's uh, blown the barn doors off here. No, he was, I mean, I mean, like Benier's a second in scoring, and I'm not saying he's running away with it. I think he's might be he's up there with the favorites, but I don't think yeah. he's running away with it by any means. No, and I think the one thing about Beniers that I, to me is like he's basically the face of the franchise already. You yes. know, like that's the amazing thing about it. And I think that 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 goes a long way in terms of your overall team impact. When I'm when I'm voting on Calder and, and stuff like that, I'm thinking about specific team impact. And there's no question the guys that we just mentioned have had a significant impact on their teams. 
I just don't know if anybody has impacted their team as positively as Matty Beniers has impacted the Kraken, well, even the though they can make the playoffs. I, it was going to be hard to not vote for that guy. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think he, his team, his overall team impact and the fact that, you know, he's, he's the ray of hope for this franchise more than a certain other recent draft pick, which isn't his, isn't his fault. That's not, but, but Matty Beniers has taken the step um, that we all kind of saw coming at the end of last season and, and into this season. Any dark horses before we kind of tie a bow on this? I mean, there, there's some guys who I think maybe would have been on the periphery. They would have been on the radar coming into the year. I'm thinking like a J.J. Paterka off to a really good start. And any kind of dark horses getting into this mix for you guys? Obviously, we've already talked about Michelli. There's two that come to mind for me. I don't think he's going to figure that well into this mix. But every kind of pro scout I've talked to has really he preys on Wyatt Johnson in Dallas. I think, you know, for the role he's playing as a 19-year-old, is really impressive. Like, I don't know if he's going to score, especially on that strong of a team who have the offensive options they do to, to get really into the Calder race. But can I see him getting some fourth or fifth place votes? I, I could for sure. And I was curious when we in prep for this segment, I looked up uh, on Hockey Reference, they have kind of like a, a war-type stat. And I looked up who was the leading rookie uh, uh, player in terms of wins above replacement. And the name surprised me. It was Nick Perbix. Uh, from the Tampa Bay Lightning, who I think has got three goals and six points so far. And um, on a blue line that's had some injuries, and obviously the losing Ryan McDonough has been, you know, been solid, nothing special, but he's big. He can skate a little bit. He's got some secondary puck moving up ability. Um, I'm not sure he's a Calder Trophy candidate type of player, but intriguing start to this season for a guy who has a lot of pro tools. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Nick Perbix because I think he's he's been one of the biggest surprises for me in this rookie class. Um, and I've liked Nick Perbix. I've watched him a lot playing in college ranks. And he he was one of the top defensemen in college hockey over the previous two seasons and um, made the Olympic team, was kind of one of those guys who was like, really him? And and then he he played sure. decently well. And I, I, I think he's definitely one of those guys. But, yeah, I mean, based on his, his minutes played and different things like that, you know, I don't think that he's going to have necessarily the impact. Um, you know, the other guy that I just want to mention because I I've liked the way that he's played throughout the season and, um, he's just on a bad team. I mean, I mean, Caden Gooley has, right, has been yes. incredible this year. Sure, um, yes. yeah, exactly. And, you know, over 20 minutes a game he's producing, um, he just hasn't looked out of place. And to me, it looks like, you know, if I'm a Habs fan, I'm looking at the way that he's playing right now. And I'm saying, Hey, once we get a little bit more on this roster, he's going to really just take off. And, um, He's really made that smooth transition. So Caden Gooley is definitely in the mix for me as well. Would we'll be very out of character for Tampa to draft a good player in the seventh round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I, I was just looking at their prospect system the other day. And I was like, well, which none of these guys look that great, except, you know, like Isaac Howard's the first rounder. But I was like, somebody there's a there's a star in there somewhere and he's off to a slow start too. He is. Yeah. So. So, yeah, you don't draft in the first round Tampa. Just draft in like five through seven. You're good. They're actual, other than Vasilevsky, they're drafting history between like the first and the non-first round. It's actually kind of hilarious. It is. They should just trade out of it every year for, for four mid to late rounders and, and, and watch, uh, watch Al Murray cook. All right, uh, we're going to take a break right here. We'll come back with the mailbag. All right, let's dive into the mailbag here. Uh, good questions today. First one is from Weebrister. Should we be worried about Moritz Cider or is it just a slow start asking for my fantasy team? Well, we could answer that for more than just Wee Brister's fantasy team. I'm sure Detroit fans and NHL fans in general are 
more interested in insider star. And he, I mean, he's playing still big minutes for the team, but he always got the, the five points so far on the season. Might as well start with a guy who's watched every single one of his games. Max, what have you seen so far? Yeah, I think there is some some reason for a little bit of worry here with Maritz Sider. I don't think big picture it's it's major worry. I, I think ultimately you you see the talent, uh, and and you haven't stopped seeing that talent really since he was drafted. But what I'm seeing is is a lot of rush decisions. Um, he seems like he's trying to do a lot, shift to shift. I know Corey, you, you came out to Detroit, watched the Red Wings game recently. I think there was a couple of examples of it in that game. That was one that really went wayward for the Red Wings against the Rangers. Um, but that's what I'm seeing. I think the puck management has been a little rocky. Maybe maybe it's adjustments to new defense partner. Maybe it's just him trying to to really live up to a, a high bar. Um, but I think, you know, honest, I, I know we're not talking about just fantasy here. For your fantasy team, I do think there's a little bit of cause to be worried because the offense hasn't been coming as naturally. The Red Wings power play has been a little better with, with Philip Hronik on it sure. um, than with Moritz Sider. And I think big, even, you know, in, in this kind of medium term for Detroit, big picture, Moritz Sider is the franchise number one. There's no doubt about that. But I think even in the medium term, the, the term of kind of the rest of the season, I think it is fair to be a little bit worried. Right. And it's interesting you go back maybe a couple of years when we think of Moritz Sider coming up through Germany, coming up through the American League, even in Sweden to an extent, and thinking what the scanner report on this player was. It was always, to me, a big, really mobile defenseman who was very physical and there was offense there, but you were never sure if it was going to be like this really high, high-end puck mover. And then his rookie NHL season comes along, and I was just blown away by the stuff he was doing with the puck. The skill just looked so much better than what I'd seen before. The, the offensive playmaking was really high-end, and it was you know, he had, what, the 50-plus points and run their, ran their power play, and it was just so impactful offensively almost every single night. And it's interesting to kind of see what happens in the second season. It's like, okay, well, which player is the real player here? Is he just like, is he this true all-around dynamo? Or is he going to be this really good defender with good, not great offense? I guess we'll see long-term what the, what the answer to that question is. But I would be less concerned if the problem with his game right now was that he was locked down rock solid defensively and just not producing to me the problem has more been he's been a little erratic and trying to do these high-end puck like there's a play and you guys will know because you've watched more outside a ton that he did so many times last season i can't even count where protecting the puck he would kind of put it through his legs spin around and make this miraculous play and it seemed at times like that was just unstoppable from him this year he has flubbed it a couple times it's he's had plays that where he's trying to cut back and it leads to these turnovers now he looks less like this like safe defenseman you know that's there anything he adds is a bonus and more at times like kind of this wild horse that you're trying to rein in yeah and another thing i think that's happening too is the league you know has has built a, a better book on him i think yes. they're better prepared for him as well and you know the thing that you talk about ma- making faster decisions having to having to be under pressure more that's that's a part of that is game planning. That is part of the the way that teams are playing him is they are going after him. They are attacking him. They are not allowing him to dictate the pace and dictate the shift and 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 have much time to make those decisions. Because you know, I, and that's not to say that it was easy last year. It just wasn't. That's not the case. It's you know, teams figure it out over time. But I think when you you know the the, the game continues to get faster and you have to continue it to adjust with it. And I, I agree with you completely. I'm not worried about his long-term projection, but I think it is something that now you have to correct it as, before it gets worse. You definitely have to say, okay, let's simplify our game a little bit more. Let's make some of those smart plays because you can read the game just fine. Yeah. It's just don't let, let's pick the right play more often than we're trying to pick, you know, whatever, you know, if we're getting too casual or too cute with the puck, those are different things that he's just, you know, has to clean up. But I, I think the idea, his, uh, to Corey's point, 
figuring out what your identity is as a player and 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 playing to that more is going to allow that consistency and it's are you the super puck mover or are you just a good puck mover that does a little bit of everything well and can you just be that um so that's another thing it's kind of like having one specific club in your in your golf bag that you know when you when you need it it's there but if you try to start trying to use it you know half of your shots on the course you're probably going to start to have problems and that's how i look at it for him it's just knowing when to break some of that stuff out and, and when to keep it simple. Uh, we'll go on to the next one from David G. Owen Tippett seems to be doing well under John Tortorella compared to Frost, who isn't as noticeable. Is this a result of relationships with the coach or is Frost simply not living up uh, and delivering? Uh, well, I, you know, Owen, uh, I should say Morgan Frost is a player that I, you know, coming out of junior, I was like, you know what, maybe I didn't love him that much in his draft year. And maybe I was, uh, maybe I was a little bit wrong about him. You know, maybe I, maybe there's more there. And, um, I think what we've seen throughout his NHL career is a lot of the things that concerned us before about him, skating ability, um, you know, some of these other kind of uh, compete elements in his game uh, aren't there. Like they're just not. And, and he hasn't figured it out as an NHL player. You know, he hasn't he hasn't taken that next step. And, you know, actually, when John Tortorella was hired by Philly, I thought to myself, you know, this is not good for Morgan Frost. Not that you would not that you would try to make a coaching decision for Morgan Frost's benefit, but I thought he does not play the style of hockey that is going to speak to John yeah. Tortorella. Yeah. And does that is that no, but he's got a little bit more jam to him compared to Morgan Frost, which is not a high bar to clear, but that's you know Yeah, I'm not sure jam's the first word that comes to mind when I think. No, it isn't. It isn't, but I He's there's he's got a little bit more, you know, you you see the work ethic a little bit more at times uh, between again. We're not talking about a huge bar to clear, but I think that Tippett is has has, you know, maybe it's, it's just because he's been been around a little bit longer. He's been through it a little bit more, has had to go through a couple different coaching staffs over the last couple of years. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's uh, to me, it's not terribly surprising. I don't think either is like excelling to a certain high Tippett's degree. Tippett's playing pretty well. Like, he's either, playing he's well, playing but like it's. He, He's playing, he's playing like it's a bad team, but he's playing like 17, 18, 19 minutes a night. Yeah, exactly. Game. He's get he's getting opportunity, which is huge. I mean, like, you know, it's something that he's really never had um, in his career. But but it's not like, you know, it's not like he's blowing, blowing, blowing everybody away with with his play this season. Kind of building off a conversation that we had made with Dvorsky and even to maybe a different extent with Chile and, and Benson. You know, Frost is not a good skater. He's not a two way guy. Uh, kind of like Chris, I probably under over. I probably rate him correctly, then I overrated him, and now and now back back to earth a little bit. Um, but I think it shows that you know when you are don't have size, when you don't have speed, when you don't have a high motor, all you have left is your offense. And if you're not creating offense, then you're not doing crap. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing in the, in the case of Frost. It's like okay, if you don't score, where do I play you? Whereas with Tippett, he's a little bit bigger. He's much faster, at least with that kind of player, there's some transition at value, even strength where you provide, even if the puck's not going in the net for you all the time. And obviously he does have skill and scoring ability too in his game. Uh, so I just think there's, Tim has just always had more pro in his game. Consistency going back to junior has always been the big knock with him. Uh, but he's always had all the tools to succeed as a pro. 
yeah, a little more dimension. It just gives you something to fall back on. I think is is the is kind of the uh, the, the key there. Uh, next one is from Philip G. Is, is the Jordan Dumay hype real? Uh, Dumay, obviously the third round pick of the Blue Jackets last year. He was hugely productive already in his draft year. Uh, the five nine skater, obviously, I, I think that probably hurt him. He is now up over two points per game though in the queue at age eighteen. Uh, obviously, we could probably have a, a whole episode on on what to make of of scoring in various junior leagues here. Um, but let's make Jordan Dumay a case study here. Is this for real? Um, it's a good question because obviously with a guy who scored 110 points in the QMJHL last season, uh, the people in the NHL I talked to who didn't really love the player last year, and the reason why they didn't love 110 points scoring on the Q last year is Obviously, he has great hockey sense, great skill, but they were concerned about the size, not a great skater, and not like, say, like a Zach Benson, this super high motor type either, just a really gifted offensive player. And they would look at that player and be like, yeah, we we knew he had offense. He had 110 points last season. We figured he was going to score a lot the season after in the QMJHL. What's really changed here? And I think it's a good argument. It's a reasonable argument. Where I would push back a little bit is, yeah, he's scoring a lot, but it's not just scoring a lot. Like his numbers are off the charts good. It's over two points a game. It's not like one and a half, one and a quarter or something like that. And you kind of look back through history, at least the last 10, 15 years, I mean, it's. I don't think there's another season there that's comparable as you start getting into like the Huberto Lafreniere type of seasons. So you got to give it its due that the offense he's producing is is quite significant, even though you still have the size and the and the skating concerns. Um, I guess I don't know where the hype is exactly. Um, if you were to ask me, oh, would he be a like a lock first rounder if we did that draft? I would say no. Um, he went in the third round. I think it's reasonable to suggest if you redid that draft right now, I think he's probably going in the second round. So I think at some point someone's going to say there's just too much offense there. Let's let's take our shot. I think it's there's just so much skill it'll work as a pro. Um, I think with Dume, I would be surprised if he didn't get invited to the World Junior Camp with the way he's playing this season. And I think depending on how he does in that environment, if he outplays some high picks like a Zach Bolduc or a Zach Dean or something like that, and maybe even forces his way onto a Team Canada as an 18-year-old, that would be really interesting. Yeah, I think I think that's actually a great point to to see when you when you narrow these players down, when you get them in that environment where they are playing against their peers that are of a similar caliber. Um it really does help create a little bit more of that visual separation. It's kind of like a cheat sheet when you're, you know, when you're scouting and you're looking at these players and you're saying, well, now I can see him on the same ice surface with a Zach Bolduc. I mean, you can in the queue, but like you, I can see him with other players and um, that, that are in the mix for the world junior team. You can see kind of how he compares, but you know, to that, that's the other thing too, is like, you know, the hype is being created by his point production. It's not altogether, um, a surprise that he's doing it, but I do think that, you know, to, to Corey's point, just looking it up, you know, in terms of U19 scoring in the league, um, you know, 2.21 points per game, you know, there's three people ahead of him and it's Sidney Crosby twice and Jonathan Drouin once, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's, and that also is to the point that, you know, Jonathan Drouin once was a 2.2 point per game player in the, in the league as well. And, you know, 
he's I wouldn't call that a comp, you know, like it's not, I don't think they're necessarily comparable players, but, but yeah, but I mean, I, I just think that everything that Jordan Dume does from here on out, I mean, that he went in the third round, it, it's all, it's all about the risk that was inherent in drafting a player like that. Um, you know, and, and to Corey's point, I'm, I agree with him. I, I don't think that he would go in the first and last year's class. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's fair to say that, Hey, maybe he would have gone, you know, 10, 20 spots higher. Um, if uh, if he was having this similar similar kind of production at a younger age. Here's a fun one from John D. Of the five major sports, I assume he means hockey, baseball, basketball, American football, and soccer, uh, who are the best athletes? And I feel like this is a, this is a very common debate, but I would want to almost dwindle it down to not by sport, but by like positions in a sport. Like I would want to say like NFL tight ends and receivers – Maybe running backs probably in there, uh, like NBA wings and shooting guards, maybe NBA guards and wing. Like I, I feel like you could get really granular with this, but I don't know how John necessarily intends the question. Do either of you guys have a have a gut reaction here? <laughs> I I don't have a gut reaction. Um, I, I think was it wasn't it Brendan Shanahan that had the quote about how hockey, like you know, basically you have to do all of this stuff. All you have to have like the speed of a of a running back. You have to have like blah blah blah, and then you also have to do it on skates. Um, yes. Uh, while while guys that are bigger than you are trying to kill you, and the pucks flying at a hundred miles an hour. Um, I mean, it's it's tough to say. I mean, I think that you know certainly if you look at, I mean, to be an elite athlete in in any sport, it takes a very similar mindset. It takes a similar physical makeup. It takes a similar a level of strength and different things to be the best of the best. You know, I mean, like you, you look at a LeBron James and or, or 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 somebody like that, and you're just saying, how you know, how does it work? And 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 the the way that a- athleticism translates to various sports is very different. There's sports where power is more important. There's sports where finesse is more important. So it's a tough question to answer. I don't really have a gut reaction. I mean, I think that I th- I will say that I think that hockey players in general, um, it, it's it's a tremendously difficult sport to excel in. Um, you know, you're dealing with a, a smaller player pool to go against, but even being the one percent of the one percent of that that player pool is incredibly difficult. So, um, yeah, I guess is that a non-answer? I guess that's a non-answer. Yeah, uh, pretty if, lame if, answer. If you have to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> see if you can do better. Right. I mean, you can pick out like kind of the outliers in other sports where it'd be like, yeah, obviously like someone like LeBron in basketball, or maybe like an Aaron Judge in baseball. But for me, the most impressive athletes are in football. I, I just think. And I just think I think it's because American culture where we send our most premium athletes to that sport, the guys who are the biggest and fastest mm-hmm. tend to become football players. And I think a lot of their sport translates to natural athleticism. I think it's why you see the NFL combine is so valuable a resource when it comes to the draft, because those those are exercises that test natural athleticism, whereas like sports like hockey and, and baseball, uh, there's more of a technical skill component uh to those sports. But if in football, if you're big and you can run fast. Uh, you can be an elite player, uh, at least in, at some positions. I mean, I, I look at what some linebackers or defensive ends look like and how and how they move, and I don't see those guys in hockey or baseball or 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 soccer personally. I think what we can all agree is that it's just absolutely not baseball, and that's that's the standard. <laughs> that's, there we go. 
Nailed it. You, you, you didn't think David Ortiz was the most naturally <laughs> athletic superstar? <laughs> David Wells was one of my favorites. Bartolo, alone. Like, yeah, those guys made me feel like I could also do that. But then I realized I couldn't throw a ball 90 miles an hour. So Here, Here's how I know it's, uh, it's not baseball. I, I covered baseball for one year. And on multiple occasions, I was mistaken for a player. Not just because <laughs> I was like 23, but because people thought like I, I looked like and was built like one of the players. That's how I know it's not baseball. Uh, Jonathan P says, if Matvey Michkov were playing in North America and did not have contract issues in the KHL, would he be in a more serious conversation for number one? Do you see with the team with the third pick potentially moving out of it? If another team values the long play more than the team actually picking, we can just dwindle this down. I really think that the first half of this question is what's important here, Corey, is that if Matvey Michkov was playing in a U.S. college or in American juniors or, heck, even in one of the Swedish or, or Finnish pro leagues, is he in that conversation with Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli uh, or is is it still kind of he, he's the third man? I mean, I think he would definitely be in the conversation. And I think with some clubs, he is still in that conversation. I think with some clubs I talk to, they still, I mean, they know what they saw the last few years when when they've got a chance to watch this player live and they they realize how unique an offensive player this is. So I think he is still much in the conversation, but I do think when push comes to shove, given all those other variables and given not only the, the geopolitical issues going on and the contract, but then you have the position too. We have two centers we did we did the Conor center debate but for now he's a center uh who are playing very well um i just think that they'll lean the other way but yeah if he was here playing major junior i, I yeah doing what like say patrick kane did in the ohl or something like that then i think he would very much be in that conversation yeah i i 100 agree with that i mean and, and that's the thing like if you put him in the chl right now we, I, I still feel the way that he thinks the game, he thinks it at a level that junior players do not think the game at offensively. He just, he is at a different level. Sure. If you put him there, I think, and, and that was the same thing with Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane had had two years of the national team program before he went to London. And then he was just an absolutely unstoppable force in, in junior hockey. And I think that Mitchkov absolutely could be that. I think the, the way that he thinks the game, I, I personally think he offensively, offensive hockey sense specifically, there is nobody in this draft, not even sure. Connor Bedard, that compares to Matthew Mitchkov for me. You saw Yakupov's U18s live, right? I did. Yeah, I mean, this guy wouldn't even be wouldn't even be close to the two of them. I would say like, <laughs> at the same at the same age. Yeah, no, not not at all. I mean, like, but but that, that I'm looking for a comp of a, of a Russian who played in North America and went very high in the draft. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, it's he he's off the charts compared to that. Um, and yeah, I, so, so yeah, I, 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 and I still, for me, he's still on that same, like I kind of clumped the three together. I have Bedard one, but then, you know, I think like, and now, now we're starting to say, Hey, maybe Leo Carlson kind of creeps into that group as well for, for, but I still think that those three players for all different reasons too, um, are, are special in a special tier. And like, Corey, I don't know. Do you, I feel like this is as a trio since I've been doing this. This might be one of the like. Let's say Mitchkov does go third. Has there been has there been a better player that's gone third overall in the last since you've been doing this? Right. I mean, you have to go. I think back to that 2013 draft to kind of he he went third, but probably should have been the third pick in hindsight. But I think at the time, McKinnon, Barkov, Drouin, that would kind of be a similar type of discussion. 
Yeah, yeah, and yeah. If we're looking at it specifically for how we viewed that draft season, yeah, right. And then 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 Seth Jones four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just it's crazy. Yeah. All right. Next one's from Chris Roberts, uh, who wants to know about Cutter Gauthier's torrid start and whether it's increased his stock at all or given a clearer view of his upside. Gauthier, obviously, fifth overall pick in last year's draft to Philadelphia. He's got six goals and nine points in his first eight games at Boston College. Uh, so Corey, we'll start with you here. Is, is Gauthier's stock on the rise or is this just about what you expect from the fifth overall pick? I would say the latter, maybe even a little bit more than what you expected because you weren't sure as a guy who didn't you know, have incredible numbers in junior last year, how well he was going to transition, particularly to being a full-time center at Boston College as a freshman. You know, I've watched some games, talked to some guys who watched some of his games. Some of them have been very impressive. Some of them maybe not quite as impressive. But overall, the stats are are, are very positive. And, yeah, I think his stock is is more holding steady than going up or down in a significant way. Again, he was a fifth overall pick. I don't forget, remember where Chris had him rated, but I had him, I think, five or six on my list. I think Chris might have had him around us. Yeah, similar, I, think I, similar. Fifth. I think I had him fifth, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we, we both really like the player. We both saw a 6'2 guy who can skate, had skills, scoring ability, two-way guy. Uh, I think this is just what you kind of expect when you pick a guy fifth overall. Is he's going to be a really good player. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think that the the important thing is that he's transitioning comfortably to center, that he's doing things well. You know, he, the goal scoring hasn't curtailed. Um, you know, that's a that's a, a big thing. You the the question was is he's such an effective goal scorer as a wing? Is he going to still be able to to produce goals as from the center position while also taking care of all the other responsibilities? And I think that as of right now, he has. Boston College has not been good this season. They're on the, they're trending no. up lately he missed some games at the beginning of the season for some uh personal reasons was out out of the lineup for a little bit and now he's come back in and it's been like you know no problem so he's a t- coming into the season a lot of the a lot of the guys that went high in the draft um in the first round have had strong seasons uh to to start so i mean i think that he's you know he's doing what you want and, and the other thing that was important about cutter gote in his draft year and the reason that i moved him up my board late in the process was that a lot of it is is tied to his upside. We're not seeing him right now even close to, you know, scratching the surface of what we ultimately believe that he can be. Um that was the re- he's he's you know, we talk about great athletes. I thought he was one of the best pure athletes in the draft last year because of his size, his physicality, you know, his strength, his physical strength and then also his ability to score and all those different things. So I think he is on track for where he should be. Um and if you are a Flyers fan, be very comfortable with where he's at right now. And also don't necessarily feel like he is absolutely coming out after this season because I don't necessarily know if that would be the right move um, because we've seen a lot of guys spend that second year there. And I still think there's more development for him to do. And if he doesn't, don't freak out. It's probably a good thing. He'll arrive a little bit more prepared to make an impact. All right. We're going to close with another one from John D, who I think at this point is our official purveyor of silly questions to end the podcast on. Uh, two in one episode today. So shout out to John D for that. Uh, what was your worst or funniest experience on the road seeing prospects? A flea bag hotel, awful food, a delay in flights that went days, not hours. Chris, what's the first trip that comes to mind for you? And I have a lot. Actually, yeah, I, 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 I did too. I marked, we're not going to go through all of them, but I marked down like four or five of this <laughs> yeah. instantly came to mind. Kind yeah, of thing. I, I, this, this actually, I, I have, I'll, I'll, I have two that I'll share. Um, one is actually before I started in prospects, I was actually working for the national team development program at the time. I went home for Christmas, 
uh, ahead of, and, and at this point, the World Under 17 Challenge was at Christmas time. It was at the same time as the World Juniors. And I went home for Christmas. Our flight left on Christmas uh, night. And so I left my house uh, in Chicago, my parents' house. I was just before I got married. Was at my parents' house going back to Michigan. Caught in an ice storm. Four-hour traffic jam. I was not going to get back to Ann Arbor in time for my for, for the flight that night. So I go home. Uh, I, I drive all the way back to my parents' house. already in Northwest Indiana. I drive back to my parents' house. There was a, by the way, there was a, a UPS semi-truck that was across four lanes of traffic. That's why it was all slowed down. So I'm sliding around, getting back. It took me an hour to get back to my parents' house. Then I go, uh, I get to their house and I'm, I'm leaving. I'm about to leave. I fall. I, I, I've got the ice storm is still bad. I had my laptop bag in my, in my one arm. I fell on top of it, smashed my laptop, completely smashed. Didn't realize that until I got on the plane in Chicago because I had to book a separate flight to meet the team in Seattle because we were going to Vancouver Island. And so I had to go to, flew to Seattle. My bags did not make it to Seattle. I had to go to Vancouver Island. Still didn't make it. Six days without clothes. I did manage to meet the team in Seattle. I got there before they did, oddly enough. Uh, Definitely was not happy. Uh, My boss was not happy they had to pay for two plane tickets for me. Um, But that was by far the worst travel experience I've ever had. And the second one, Corey teed me up for this. Germany last year, one of the best modes of transportation getting around Munich is a Lime scooter. I did not have a car there. Um, And uh, late one night after uh, meeting with sources... Um, I decided to take a lime scooter back to my hotel. It was going to be about a 20 minute scoot. Uh, on the way back, however, I went a little too fast and I tried to get around this couple that was walking. What I didn't see was a bike rack that was right there in front. Missed the bike rack. However, I then swerved into a bunch of cafe tables, smashing my knee. And I was very badly bloodied the rest of the night. Definitely ruined a pair of jeans that night. Um, but that was my own doing. That wasn't because I was watching players. That was because I was out and then I was trying to get back and then slammed into a bunch of, so, so, so personal injury. And then even last week, I mean, just going to the five nations, I got a flat tire 10 minutes away from the Detroit airport. So it's like, you know, well, and it was also 11 o'clock at night. So these are the travel, you know, there are a lot of scouts that have way worse stories than, than mine. And then there's certainly it's, it's actually can be a dangerous job in the winter. Uh, yes. But those are probably two of my worst experiences travel wise. Yeah. I definitely have a few uh, blizzard stories. You probably can throw in there close calls with the winter. Uh, so John mentioned flea bag hotel. So what, that, that, that triggered a memory for me there. Name what, names. Uh, well, so this was my first assignment ever, uh, you know, tra- traveling as, as a journalist. Uh, I was sent to cover the uh, the World Junior Camps in Lake Placid. Um, uh, Chris, you've been there a couple of times, I presume. Yeah, yep, um, I have. And you, yeah. and you will know that it is not a cheap trip going to Lake Placid. It is not. That, that, that place, especially in the summer when the tournament was being held, is a prime tourist destination. Um, and those are expensive hotels. Uh, ESPN, when I was who I was working for on, on the assignment, gave me a budget for the tournament of five hundred dollars. <laughs> um, uh, so I had to stretch that out a little bit, um, and thus I did not get into a Marriott or a Hilton. Uh, I had to find just like the lowest grade motel possible 
so that I can stay there for several nights. And the place I found, it was like a 45-ish minute drive away from the tournament site. It's like in the middle of the woods. It was like this motel where you could literally see the four rooms. Like there was just a visible four-room motel, one all, all one level. Uh, you get there, there's this one guy like with just like a, like a plain white t-shirt just ro- smoking on a rocking chair outside of his room right now. Um, you get I'm like in a suit. I stand out a little bit in this environment uh, coming from the camp. Uh, the room smells something really funny. Uh, if you really want to picture it, think of any of your favorite horror movies you've ever watched or someone gets stabbed in a motel room. And that's what this place looked like. <laughs> um, uh, and I had to stretch that out for a week. Uh, and I think at one point I transitioned to another like like hotel motel type of thing where I had like a Christmas theme to it, which was interesting to go to in August. Um, that was uh, a unique experience, particularly for your first time on the road. Uh, so, um, and uh, there's a couple other ones in there that are that have, are more funny or or interesting and sometimes dangerous. I've had a, several car accidents uh, while traveling. Uh, for work, but one of which I'll the other one we'll share is one that longtime podcast listeners will be aware of because we shared it with you uh, as it was happening. It was when Chris and I were both at the U18 Worlds in Sweden. Uh, the context is which is it was a great tournament, one of my most memorable tournaments I ever traveled to was U18 Worlds in, in Umea and Orange Schultz Speak. Uh, the, the, the Jack Hughes tournament, the Cole Caulfield tournament, Lucas Raymond. Yaroslav Askarov, uh, just a, a great tournament overall with so many highlights and memorable moments. And not coincidentally, it ended with a memorable moment, not the Lucas Raymond hat trick and overtime winner in front of the home crowd. But we had learned in the final day of that tournament, uh, as we were staying at Orange Schultz Peak, a lot of people were flying out of the Umea airport to get up to Stockholm and then from Stockholm uh, going home is that the uh, main airline that had flown us, everybody from Stockholm uh, uh, to Omea was SAS. And right around the end of the tournament, there was a pilot strike, which was a very pleasant thing to hear. And thus we all had to make it to Stockholm the next day somehow. And of course, you know, it was the gold medal game. The gold medal game went to overtime. So we weren't out of that building, I think, until midnight. And thus, the brilliant idea that both Chris, myself, and then Craig Custins, who used to work in hockey. I don't know what he does anymore. Uh, Whatever happened to that guy? Yeah, he's around somewhere. Uh, is We decided we were going to take an overnight drive from Orange Soap Speak to Stockholm, uh, which I believe was like a seven-hour drive, five-hour drive? Five. It felt like seven. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we just drove right through the night. Um just uh, having, having, it was an interesting experience. We recorded and, uh, a podcast. Yes, that <laughs> was a great podcast. We, I remember we, that episode. We, we did record a podcast. That's why I, I, I said that people would remember, might remember yeah. this. Um, I'm pretty sure Craig violated several traffic laws. Wow. He definitely uh, almost blew a, a red light. That, that stayed in the show when I was like, red light, Craig, red light. <laughs> I'm sure recording a podcast violates some sort of laws while driving. 
Yeah, I but, hope the statute of limitations uh, is uh, not uh, going to catch up to us on that one. I, I but I don't know Sweden's laws uh, that well. But yeah, though that was definitely a very memorable experience. And Craig and Chris made their flights with a decent amount of time. Although I think you had like a like an issue connecting through. I believe it was Poland. Uh yeah, yeah that that was a long journey. I had to because SAS was out. There was no flights, so I had to get on. Uh, I think it was Delta to yeah, and then I had to go to Warsaw, and then I had to go to Chicago, and then I had to get home to Iowa. So. It was, uh, it was, I think, I think all told that, you know, including the drive time, it was basically a, a 29 hour travel day straight through. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot hope of fun. Some, Memories were you... made. Memories yes, were made. Uh, podcast right. stories now told. Yes. Lots of those. Awesome. All right. That is going to do it for us. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. You can also catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey and his podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. And right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.